Welcome to Brothers Red, the unique LFC podcast brought to you by five brothers who are all obsessed with Liverpool Football Club and are particularly pleased when Man United and Everton lose on the same day. Liverpool end the week with a third consecutive victory after nailing a well-drilled Hammers side at Anfield with a gutsy performance. In doing so, they've now 16 points from seven games and have restored themselves to the summit of the Premier League table, usurping their neighbours across the Stanley Park in Merseyside. This was a record-breaking 63rd game at Anfield without defeat, beating the, of course, 62-game run held by the great Bob Paisley team of the 1980s. Another impressive record for this Liverpool team. I'm joined by Matt, Fran and Andy on the show, all of whom will present, I'm sure, as much less deluded than a post-match David Moyes. Boys, let's get straight into the action. Matt, turning to the match. There's a danger, isn't there, that we might as well all just repeat ourselves this week following last weekend's stoic performance against the Blades. Because it's another 2-1 home victory where we've come from behind after an early setback. But this week in particular, a victory, Matt, built on and reliant on sheer bloody-mindedness and an unstinting desire for victory rather than three-flowing, ebullient, award-winning football. Yeah, pretty poor performance overall, really. But we did that magic thing that we grinded out the result. Um, I was thinking whilst watching the game, is this another clone of the Sheffield United uh, performance? And it was certainly kind of looking like that. I was pretty gutted. Well, we were gutted and frustrated by West Ham's first goal. Again, another kind of low, low XG, G, G type effort. And then it kind of like descended into more frustrating, frustration, didn't it? Because we just didn't create anything. And, you know, it was that feeling of kind of many, many seasons ago where you're just like, come on, you know, create something. Because they were so far back. They were just so deep and, and, and sat back. But we got that bit of stroke of luck. And the, stroke of luck, yeah, definitely with the penalty. And that was certainly much more much more pleasing. And then once we got that goal, then it was like, come on, kick on. Come on, we've we've, we've equalised now. And it just didn't. <laughs> It just flatlined, yeah. and you again descended into more frustration. And then, of course, the 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 duo came on. Shakiri and Jota changed the game, won the game for us. And then at the end, it was just a feeling of absolute relief, wasn't it? The fact that we just got the result two one, same as the Sheffield United game, three points, crack on. The only thing I would say is that on the I'm a little bit concerned that over the past three games, particularly that we're not creating as much. Um, I don't know whether that's fatigue. I don't know whether that's the change in the formation. But I think we just need to keep an eye on that a little bit. Well, the point on that, Matt, just to briefly touch on it, is that we're playing, and it's one of the factors, teams who have a very defensive approach against us. And West Ham, um, to their credit, excelled at playing the low block yesterday. But I think, Fran, we may be this season, we've touched upon this before, need to recalibrate how we define or view a good performance. We've got these well-documented oddities at play in 2021 with a gruelling schedule and no fans in the stadium. 
But Liverpool yesterday, as Matt said, Fran, really struggled to do the basics well, particularly offensively, in terms of chance creation, shots on target. But ultimately, they found a way to win. And it's a point business, isn't it? We don't want brave performances where we don't get the three points. We want to win. And is it more impressive to deliver a late winning goal when the pressure's on against an obdurate organised defensive block than just to swat aside, say, an opponent with a swashbuckling display? I mean, the latter demands real strength of character, doesn't it? And as Klopp said himself, digging in. It's been a, a gruelling period for Liverpool since the 2-2 draw at Goodison. Liverpool averaging a game every three days over the past 14 days. And we've got Atlanta on Tuesday. Four days later, we've got a massive game at the Empty Had against Man City. <laughs> So it's this is it's a really extremely tiring and demanding run of fixtures, coupled with the injuries that we've sustained of late, which we're all fully aware of. And this may have had an impact on our performance yesterday. As you rightly said, we struggled to do the offensive basics well. We didn't have that high intensity, that incredible amount of speed and flair that we've so often seen. It was it was pedestrian-like at times, from heavy metal football that we've come to expect. Three points clear at the top of the table. And just to echo what you said before, James, 63 unbeaten league games at Anfield. Really impressive. And it's about getting the results, and it was, it's a results industry. I thought West Ham were well-organised, defended well. Low block was in place. They've done really well. Um, and what you've we've all got to remember as well about West Ham is that they've beaten Leicester. They've taken points off Spurs and City so far this season. So it was always going to be a difficult game. Their tails are up. They had five at the back. It was going to be difficult for us. So just to get the result... There, there will be this new type of performance, I think, from Liverpool now, which is we need to put aside this heavy metal football and just get the results in any any way, shape or form. And it's not just about it being a gruelling schedule, is it, Andy? Liverpool at the moment are so in the middle of crisis management. I mean, we've got a, a real problem or there's a uh, there's a real... Um, nightmare situation in the back line and we're still missing key players yeah James and I think the point that we must keep at the forefront of our minds is that we're, st- we're top of the league so we can cite these problems can't we about Liverpool not being at the best but the key question is or the key point is is that we're we're the best in the league at the moment and I just hope that if we continue to have these results where we're just getting over the line then when we get our best players back, we're going to be in a better position to keep the momentum up. So we can't be too critical, can we? Because as, you, as you've said, James, you can't discount the fact that Liverpool have had a hectic um, schedule of games and we've not been helped by the the multitude of in- injuries that we've had. So we just need to keep, keep things in perspective and appreciate that 
not every game we're not going to have a stellar performance. We're not going to be scoring three or four goals. It's about getting over the line and getting those three points. And Liverpool were praised last season, not just for outstanding free-flowing football, but for getting the job done. I mean, how many times did we walk away with three points last season after a hard-fought one-goal victory? I mean, think, for example, although I shouldn't mention these words, of the Aston Villa game last season, where we snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. I don't think we've been given too much credit in the media so far as we all care about that. Bearing in mind that you've got Nat Phillips, who is um, a debutant who's got experience in the Bundesliga too, but is far from an established Premier League centre-back who's thrown in with Gomez. It's a new back four. You've got, although he played reasonably well, Curtis Jones in the middle in the context of Thiago being out, Keita being out, and also Oxlade-Chamberlain being on the long-term injury list, three of our key offensive midfield players. We just got the job done. And the thing about yesterday was that you got that impression as it got to the last 25 minutes that we, in a way, sometimes like Henderson embodies this, we just decided that we were going to get the goal. We were going to find a way to win. And you can see that level of determination when we actually get the goal. And like I said to you, Matt, at the outset, surely much more impressive from a mental perspective to carve out a win in those circumstances when the pressure's on. Because Liverpool have to win every game or it's... Um, a situation where there has to be an inquest. So I thought that was really impressive. The thing about the game, though, Andy, that you can't ignore was the the introduction of Jota and also Shakiri. I mean, Diogo Jota is a real rising star, isn't he, in this team? And we've discussed previously about how we need to keep an eye on him and whether he can possibly usurp Bobby Firmino in the team this season, a point I'd like to return to and discuss in more detail later. But Shakiri's come on. Uh, he's made an instant impact by, with Jota, winning us the game, creating uh, something with a piece of magic out of nothing. And this season, again, as we've discussed, it looks as though we've got real depth offensively. We've got those three backup players, two of which shone yesterday. And things are looking bright in that area. Yeah, James, I think the, the, the introduction of both Shaq and Jota just changed the landscape of the game. So it seemed to me that the first 60, 70 minutes, Liverpool were just a bit stale. And as Matt said, the, the West Ham defence was fairly low block. We needed the implementation of a bit of guile, a bit of attacking flair. And that came in the form of Shaq, who was just able to unlock the West Ham defence with that key pass. And how many for how many years now have Liverpool fans said... Whilst the first team is really impressive, really good, the concern has always been for that the drop in level. We've had the likes of Arigi there waiting in the wings, but it's that that key ingredient coming on from the bench just changing up the Liverpool team. And that early signs, of course, but Jota seems to be doing that at the moment. He's bringing in a bit of class, changing up the play, 
And that that's significant because I don't think we've had that for a couple of years now, that ability to alter the game, that ability to, to give the opposition something else to think about. And Shaq just shows, demonstrates his class just with a moment, a moment of brilliance, really, just playing that incisive pass which completely cut apart that West Ham defence. It was a moment of real class. And it also reminds us that Shakiri has got a lot to offer when he's fit. But let's not forget he hasn't been fit unless something else has been going on behind the scenes for large parts of the last two years or so. If he stays fit, particularly in this season and, he could potentially keep making a difference with the quality that he has. It surprised me, James. I looked the other day and he's only 29. I thought, because he's a fairly seasoned player, I thought he was a bit older than that. But it just shows, doesn't it, that, as you say, if he can stay fit, he becomes an incredible option for Liverpool moving forward. We know that he's shown the class in previous games. Barcelona springs to mind immediately. But as you say, James, it's about keeping fit. I think my real concern, though, James, is that would Shaq, given given his age and where he's at currently in his career, there's a real danger, in my view, that he moves in the transfer window, the next transfer window, unless Klopp can say or give him some assurances about more regular first-team football. But I agree with you, if we can keep Shaq for the full season, he offers a wonderful option, doesn't he? Because we know when he, he comes does. on, he may, he may not be as robust going back. And we know to some extent, it may be a bit unfair to say, but he's a bit of a weather player sometimes, isn't he? So he'll join in. But when you get to that final third, when he's got other good players, that's when he comes into his own. That's when he, he's elevated into, I, I don't go as far to say a world-class player, but he's an excellent player, an excellent attacking option. So it does fill me with some confidence, James, that he's now fit and also that he's coming into the team and he's changing games. He never lets the side down when he plays. He never gives the ball away. Um, He does his bit defensively. The problem, as you say, is that he's not being fit. But Franny offers a little bit extra, doesn't he, in that final third and also something a little bit different to what we've got already because we've got Mane, Salah and Jota who all have the pace and the direct running. But none of those three really have the ability that Shakiri has where he's outside the box. There's a crowd of players in front of him, but somehow he can just slip a ball through like he's done in the last two games and create a very high quality chance. Yeah, James, it was, a, it was a moment of magic, wasn't it, really? It was a great pass. And just to, you know, to, to move on from what Andy was saying, you know, there was talk about him leaving at the start of the season. I think most Liverpool fans are quite glad that he stayed on. Um, whether that's the case, that he moves on in January, depends on his performances and how many outrunner games he may get in the team. But when you come on and, and change the game the way he did with Jota and it makes a huge difference and I think he's got a lot of quality and I think he's a floor player that we need and you need as Andy said before a good squad I think he's only played 
I think he, he's played seven Premier League games last season or involved in seven and then 24 the season before, 2018. So I think for Shaq, it's all about getting more games under his belt. I think no one would question his ability. Yeah, and I think I think it's, a, it's another example of how good the recruitment's been as well. I mean, getting Shaq in in the, in the first place, the fact that now he, you know, he can come on and create a goal like that. Um, so it's really encouraging. It, it is, it's encouraging, Matt, isn't it? But what we, I know I'm the excitable one, but we can't get too um, enthusiastic about Shakiri until he, he puts together a run now. When we talked about that with Kaita, haven't we, about keeping fit. If Shakiri can keep fit, I think he offers something similar to what we had with Coutinho. And the problem with with Bobby at the moment, as we'll discuss later, is he he isn't producing any any through balls like Shakiri or assists or too many key passes at the moment. So I don't think it's going to be one of those seasons where you, where Klopp's going to have a lot of players banging on his door saying, "I want more game time, boss." Sorry, James. Another thing to mention as well is that now that Van Dijk's out, um, we might be able to use Shaq for his um, natural height and a real <laughs> presence. Yeah, stick him at centre-back. Well, the way the injuries are going, we may need to play him centre-half. I think he's uh, five foot five, so he might be a decent centre-half. Yeah. Um, Matt, moving away from um, Shakiri and his stout nature... Perhaps uh, you, you could just take us through the match stats. I imagine that uh, they don't make pleasant reading except for that three-point stat. Yeah, so that's the most important one. Well, I'm going to just give some positive stats, I think, um, to start off with. Since the Villa game, we've only conceded four four goals out of five games. So there's been a, 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 an improvement in, in the defence. And I think you can see that. I think the defensive line, we're not... Um, as far forward um, for Salah only Torres has scored more goals in his first seven games and that was in the 2009 to 2010 season where Torres got eight goals so Salah started off really really well Talk, talking what Andy was saying about Jota he's the first player to score three out of four goals in home games since Luis Garcia since since good old Louis in, in 2004 Um so there, you know, they're quite quite positive statistics, really. We always talk about the XG anyway. Let's 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 move on to the XG of the game. Our XG was one point five six to uh, the zero point two seven. So it kind of emphasised how how defensive they were, but it kind of emphasised how we just didn't really create that much. We don't really see Liverpool with an XG of one point five six these days, do we? It's not normally always between between two and three at least. Um, and if you if you're tracking that XG over the first forty minutes, you know it it completely flatlined. Our XG after forty minutes was was not point one six before the penalty. So there was apps. So it just kind of showed that that again that we just weren't creating anything. I think we had the we had the Henderson shot that went wide from that Mane run and we had the the kind of the Robbo kind of volley over the bar but that was about it 
Uh, and then obviously uh, we got the penalty. I said I did mention the frustration about about the X, these XGs and these shots that are going in. So fourteen goals from twenty six shots or, or something like that. Fornell's XG was not point zero seven. So that's ridiculous, isn't it? So it's it quite really low. Is. You wouldn't have expected you know you wouldn't have expected him to score though, would, would you really? Sorry, mate. It feeds into that sense. I think it's fifteen goals actually conceded from twenty six shots that we've been unlucky at times this season with uh, opposition or opposition players converting chances when ordinarily you would you would expect them to fly past the post are you are you are you trying to take my deputy um, stats stats job there because <laughs> I, <laughs> no. uh, I, I i did say 14 to be fair so so thank i'm, I'm glad you've done your research there anyway so that's good <laughs> that's good um the the p pda I pronounced that right, Paddy, you know, when you listen, um, was 6.91 to us. So obviously um, our press was 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 in full force. Theirs was 35. <laughs> so, so it's just it, it's just not surprising. I mean, the, the low block, 5-4-1 formation is kind of just completely, completely obvious, really. Um, I'm just going to focus on a few of the match stats. Um, I'm just going to say... That we dominated possession, seventy two point five percent to the twenty six point five percent, and the the surprising thing is that we only had nine shots to the four. That's got to be one of our lowest shot totals ever. Um, nine shots, you you don't really hear about it. We're we're least in double figures. In fact, in the Sheffield United game, we had we had seventeen shots. So you thought that we didn't create too much for the Sheffield United game, but actually, there was a. There was a there was a decline. I kind of thought, well, do you know what? I'll draw some stats up about why we had the low shot totals and why we had the low x low xg. You know, we talked about the lack of creativity. We've talked about the 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 West Ham formation, the four five one. It was quite surprising when I was when I was looking at the stats that we give the ball away twenty four times, which is quite a lot actually. And most of it was in most of it was in the West Ham's West Ham's half. I've got to credit some of West Ham's statistics. They made much more blocks than us, which is not surprising. They made fifteen to eight. Um, they won more aerial duels again, so twenty to sixteen. So not quite as good as good as Sheffield United last week in terms of the, the statistics. But you could see how they were very very strong strong um defensively which made it very very difficult for us didn't it um <laughs> it's funny watching the heat map actually so i was looking at the heat map and basically there's just a big circle in the west ham zone own half where they just shut up shop <laughs> it's completely <laughs> shut up shop but uh, when you when you look at the heat map, it obviously does different colours. So the more the more red it goes is the kind of the more the concentrated area. There's a big red blob 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 on their own eighteen yard box, <laughs> which I found quite which I found quite comical because it was just that's what they were kind of doing. They were just complete low block and and, and shut up shop. Um, so I thought that they were the kind of the main the, the main and obvious stats. Really interestingly, Mane was man of the match statistically. Um, believe it or not. When they, when they compiled all the sisters together, but obviously they give it to to Nat Phillips and the fact that he's an experience and and the fact that he came in and did a good job, I, I think's fair. Um, so so yeah, so they're they they're some of the main 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 stats I pulled out, James. I didn't think it was Mane's best game to be honest, but um... he played better second half, didn't he? He, he was a bit he was a bit rusty in the first half, wasn't he? But but then he did he did play much better in the second half. I feel. 
Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to have too much sympathy for West Ham. I mean, I know that they, they played really well, but they didn't show any ambition. And what the last few seasons has shown is that if you come to Anfield and you show no ambition, you're probably not going to get any points. Whereas Liverpool were defensively shaky on paper, at least yesterday. And they've got some good offensive players. They've got, although they weren't, they weren't playing um, on the starting line. We've got Yar- Yarmolenko and Manzini. I just think maybe if they'd shown a bit more ambition, they could have maybe picked up a, you know, a, a, a victory or a, a draw, maybe a 2-2 draw and. Yeah, it's interesting, James, because we know, don't we, from the first game of the season, Leeds, they demonstrated that adventure, didn't they? And that bravery. And that they really caused Liverpool problems. And it may well just be because it's Moyes and he has had so many beatings from Liverpool in the past <laughs> um, that he was reticent about being too attacking. But as you say, given, especially you think they would have been encouraged by the fact that Liverpool have a depleted defence. And if they would have put more pressure on our back line, they could have you know, got a few more goals. So surprising, but perhaps not so surprising given uh, we were facing a Moyes uh, team. Yeah, and, and I suppose in fairness, teams are always concerned about coming to Anfield and, and getting spanked if they show any ambition because what you always have to remember about this Liverpool team is they are playing in response to very defensive lineups. Whereas if Liverpool have the option to play an open game, nine towns out of ten, they're probably going to kill you. But Matt, let's get back into the game itself because there are a few things to... Um, discuss briefly. I thought Liverpool started the game well, actually, in the first 10 minutes before they scored. They looked as though they had good impetus, good energy. But that opening goal from Fornells, very much again like last week against Sheffield United, really um, knocked us, let's say. And um, you have to say also that it did, perhaps unsurprisingly, showed that we had a, a degree of defensive fragility because it certainly was a goal that um, we could have avoided. Yeah, I mean, we, we always start off well, don't we? But then it was kind of a goal that we, yeah, that we should have avoided. I think there was two cardinal errors, wasn't there, really? The first one was was when when, when their defender basically just, just passed it to, to Bowen, who, who was completely unmarked. 40 yards out in our own half. And if you if you look at the goal, if you look back at the goal again, Henderson, Wijnaldum and Jones are all are all kind of pressing in the uh, in 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 the West Ham's half. So there was a mistake there that at least one of the one of the midfielders should should have been back there in that in that central area to to pick up Bowen because Bowen then of course uh, we we've all seen the goal was able to spread it back out to four four nails. He was able to knock it back to uh, Masawaku, is it? And he, he he crossed it in, and then it was the it was the second cardinal error, which was Gomez. It, it the cross came in, and it was a to put it to to put it pretty pretty straight. It was a tame header from Gomez. He should have either knocked it beyond the box, should have you know could have knocked out for a throw in, but but instead he obviously heads it right. Right to Fornells, who's basically just just on the edge of our box, pretty much, and then obviously he was able to 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 kind of 
scuff volley it in into the net. So I think them them two incidents were 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 disappointing. But in saying that, generally we didn't make too many many defensive errors in the whole game actually. So so that that first goal was was disappointing and, and probably could have been avoided. Um, I don't know if you agree agree with this, Matt. Gomez now is almost building up um, a catalogue of errors in, in games. And we know, don't we, that past Liverpool players such as Lovren were criticised for making these mistakes in games which cost us goals. And I don't say that Gomez is comparable to Lovren, but, and I don't mean to criticise Gomez because I think he's done okay this season, but I know we've talked about Gomez, but it is starting to become a bit more of a concern, isn't it, with Gomez? Because... In the absence of Van Dijk, you want a seasoned centre-back to offer that stability because what's going to happen is Gomez is probably going to get different partners at centre-back. You need at least one of the centre-backs to offer that structure and that stability. But it seems that Gomez is not capable of that at the moment and he looks shaky. And in contrast, Nat Phillips, who came in, looked a bit more assured yesterday, which is surprising given that He's not had that much first team exposure, so I don't mean to. I don't know if you agree with that, Matt. That Gomez. I know you're a big fan of Gomez, but it just seems to me each game now we're seeing a consistency of errors from Gomez. Yeah, I think I no no I disagree with you actually. I think that I think you've got to put it into context as well. It's surely you've got to grade the errors. <laughs> you know, there's howlers. <laughs> And there's ones that yeah, a little bit of a mistake. That that is kind of mid a mid error because because at the end of the day, it's still the the goal is as we said, it's still got a not point not seven xg. So it's not a it's not a, it's not a huge it's not a huge error. It's just it's just something again that he just needs to keep keep working on. What I would say about Gomez is I I I thought his distribution again was 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 really really good actually because he had a lot of the ball. He had something like a hundred. 40 passes and he had a 92% pass pass completion as well. Um so so I actually thought Gomez Gomez did well really. It's basic stuff though Matt isn't it? Defending 101. Make sure when you're heading the ball away from your box that you don't just head it tamely to an opposition player. I mean you say that it's a, a midline error but that to me was fairly fundamental that you head it you know, away from the opposition, it just seemed like a, he just flicked his head at it. It just it seemed to me to be schoolboy stuff. You're being far too critical, Andy. Um, I think you, what you're doing is you're analysing the the header in the context of it of it being converted into an opening goal. I think I agree with Matt. I think what you're looking for ordinarily in every game is a bit of luck in those situations. And quite often, incidents like that, you know, sort of tame headers or poor clearances or slightly dodgy passes are just forgotten about and overlooked in the context of a player's performance because they never actually result in any adverse result. So I think with Gomez, yes, it has cost us the goal, but you also have to look at, well, could Ali, even though it hit the post and went in, done a little bit better on that and also why wasn't Genie or Hendo picking up four nails because that was their job and if Gomez does the bad header if someone's on four nails and he's not in a prime position with the three midfielders off 
somewhere else, then it isn't a goal. So I think you've got to put it into context. The other thing to say, as Matt said, is that he, he played well throughout the game. There was no other particular shakiness. He's still a young player. And he's also, you know, one of the few centre-halves that we've got left with some experience. It's not in isolation, though, is it, James? I think you're correct if you say, well, look, Fran, you can't... You, what do you castigate... think of this? Well, hang on. You can't castigate a player because they, they make you know one pass which goes to an opposition player, but it's not just that. It's not in isolation. We're seeing now a picture emerging, I think, one that's building of, of Gomez making these consistent errors. So I think whilst I agree with what you and Matt say about this, I think there is some concern about him and... I think we just need to keep a close eye on, on his performances in the next couple of games. What I would say is if you look at the start of the game, you see Gomez and Nat Phillips' partnership at the back, then straight away we all think Gomez is the senior defender within the team. So you kind of hoping that he leads by example. And I think what Andy's saying is, if you break it down, the goal, it's Gomez is not really challenged for the header. And it is a poor header because he drops it in an area which makes Liverpool very vulnerable in terms of position-wise. Now, I equally think that the midfielder at fault as well because... They're out of position. I, the midfield was scattered for that goal. I don't know why they're so far up and there's no protection. Because one of my talking points before the game would be to the team, hold on a minute, we've got a young centre-half playing here. Henderson, you're the captain. Wijnaldum, you're experienced. Let's make sure we give them cover throughout the game in certain opportunities. And, and that header was a poor header. I think that's as simple simple as that but equally what I would say Andy is and I think James picked up on it before is Gomez is still learning he's still relatively young and I think he offers a lot going forward with his distribution and I think sometimes you only learn by making mistakes at times and I'd like to think that with a bit more experience as opposed to the age of what Lovren was before he left that Gomez will be well seasoned and a lot more mature playing centre-half. But I take your point, when you're playing with someone as young as, or not young, as inexperienced as Phillips, then you've got to lead by example. I mean, Fran, it, it wasn't helped by the fact we really toiled in that first half to, to try to find an equaliser. And it was so nice when the referee blew his whistle for that, for that penalty um, after Salah was booted in the box, because... It didn't look as though we were, we were you know, we dis- we discussed the stats, likely to get any sort of goal before half-time. Uh, Salah obviously converts the, the penalty and it's been a brilliant start to the season, as Matt said. But is there any debate in your mind about whether that was a penalty and do you criticise Salah for um, hitting the deck? Firstly, it was a massive moment to equalise just before half-time. You know, we, we really needed going into half-time being level to the penalty itself. Well, let's just break it down. So Jones pings the ball down the, the inside right channel for Salah. Salah looks to spin, but is clipped by Man's, 
Manzuaku, I believe it's pronounced. Um, and the, the was contact, um, albeit minor, but I think there was definite contact. Was that enough to make Salah fall down? I'm not 100% sure. But I think the defender sort of panics a little bit, as probably most people would. As Salah picks the ball up in that in that position on the pitch, you don't want to give him time to, you know, to do something. Um, so I think he's kind of eager to sort of win the ball and stop the danger. And with that, he kicks through the back of Salah's foot. And there is contact. Um, I thought it was um, kind of laughable to, to hear Moyes' sour reaction after the game. And I thought um, Alan Shearer and Murphy were um, slightly a, a bit too harsh as well, really, with the analysis of it. You know, I think Shearer said that um, Salah was falling to the floor. Moyes said it was a dive, throwing himself to the ground. I just thought it was a little bit, a little bit laughable, really. You know, strikers are told that when there's there's contact to go down, aren't they? Now we may we may not always like that point, but that's what's been ingrained as a striker. And who are we to say whether that contact's enough to put him on the floor or not? Yeah, Fran. The problem with with Salah, and I think Sue Ness picked up on this, is that he's got antecedents, hasn't he, for going down quite easy in the box. So he's had a number of arguably soft penalties. And players build up the reputation, don't they? That if they've got if if they've had a couple of penalties where they've gone down easy, then when they then get a penalty next time, you always get the criticism from the from the press and the manager saying, oh, he's gone down too easy. But we know, don't we, Fran? We do karate. And as soon as you get a bit of contact on the heel, your leg does go. Like, I've knocked you down on the canvas a number of times, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> with, a, with, with, a, with a few cheeky, uh, cheeky sweeps. So as soon as you hit that back of the heel, especially when you're going at speed and you're turning your body, you can go down. That's my defence anyway of Salah's theatrical performance with the with the dive. <laughs> Andy, you're in a... Andy, Andy, you're a member of Cobra Kai anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, Matt, Listen. I wish. Listen, boys, as Fran said, if Salah doesn't go down in the box after being kicked unlawfully, we don't get the penalty. And if it was Harry Kane who did that, there'd be no England's golden boy objection raised. Ultimately, Salah's been chopped quite a few times um, over the last year or so and not got penalties. So he did the right thing in my mind. Well, that's a great point, isn't it, James, that... You know, I take Andy's point, but equally on the other side of that, when you do get a bit of a reputation, whether it's fur or not, then sometimes things go against you as well. And sometimes referees are a little bit reluctant to give a penalty. So I think you can counter-argue that. And I didn't know you'd done Kratty, so um, I'm, I'm, glad we, <laughs> I'm glad we found that out. Um, I'll, I'll pass you a white belt later. <laughs> well, I mean, we, the only reason we could find a winning goal, Andy going back to you, is because we have, on any view, that solid defensive performance in the second half after getting the equaliser. I mean, what did you make of Nat Phillips uh, showing on the night? He was given the the Man of the Match award by Carragher, 
probably uh, recognising that he, he, he is a player who has some similarities to, to him, albeit, you know, Carragher's had an amazing career as a Liverpool legend, but there was some no-nonsense defending there that Liverpool really benefited from. Yeah, James, I think what was good is that, what was particularly impressive is that he came into that Liverpool team, into the structure, without any previous exposure to the team. So he's come in fresh and... Overall in the game, you would say that he had a solid performance. So he did all the basic things correctly. But what I would say, James, is that there's been a lot of praise and a lot of excitement in the press. And you may be of the same view, but you know he's in there to defend. It wasn't an, an, an amazing performance. He was just good, okay in the circumstances. I know he got man of the match, um, but I think... What helped him as well is I don't think West Ham were too adventurous. He wasn't tested all game. Now, just moving on just for a moment to the Man City game, I would have more concern about Nat Phillips going in and playing centre-back. And I say that because he's up against a much more potent attacking force. But that's not to say that he didn't do OK yesterday. But after all, James, defenders are there to defend as midfielders are there to play forward balls to make tackles. So I wouldn't I think the excitement needs to be tempered a bit in that he's come in, done a good job. But that's not to say he's a, a stellar centre back or he's going to be the answer to this um difficulty that we're in at the moment in terms of the defence. And just quickly I I'd echo that, Andy, because I think um Nat Phillips had nine clearances last night. Um, and two interceptions, but his his dual rate in tackles was not particularly high. Success rate, I think he only had like thirty eight percent, something like that. Um, and I think he did do a steady job against an average West Ham striker. I, I think I would be more concerned going into the City game if he was playing centre half. But I don't want to criticise too much because I feel like you know he won a lot of a lot of headers. Um, which we know West Ham are quite aerial and physical anyway. So I think, you know, you can look at it both ways, really. Sorry, Matt, what were you going to say? No, and no, I, I think we just got to give him a lot of credit, to be honest. I know him and Klopp have got a bit of an alliance going on as well because they kind of see each other as, as kind of similar players, don't they? Like not not very yeah, not very attractive, really, like in terms of the, of the general play. But... You know, he's a proper defender, isn't he? You know, he was very good in the air. And I remember, particularly in the pretty much the last last minutes of the game where West Ham had that corner and he was able to 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 kind of do an absolute key key header there as well. So so yeah, you know, he's not he's not as good on the ball as uh, as Gomez, but he definitely he definitely showed a lot of defensive qualities and, and just big credit to him really, you know. I hope he really enjoys it, you know, and enjoys his his performance because you know he's gone from playing in the Bundesliga B having what 22 appearances or something like that James to actually starting a Premier League game for for the Premier League champions which is a great achievement for him so I think Andy I think it's a good point for Andy though what that that's that's what I would say about about the Man City game I think <laughs> I think that centre-back pairing will be massively tested Against against Man City, I really do. 
Um, but we're just going to have to hope anyway with, with that one. I mean, for me, boys, it was exactly what we needed. It's more of, a, with all respect to him, a Band-Aid type situation rather than him being a long-term replacement or a replacement for uh, Matip or someone who's going to keep his place ahead of Fabinho. I mean, you, you don't want to write the lad off, but um, as was said to Klopp after the match, he's not he's not a, a Franz Beckenbauer type. He's more of a Per Mertesacker type player. And Liverpool needed an aerial threat, didn't they, against Haller? Sorry, you know, some aerial... Um, dominance against Haller and he did exactly what he needed to do he didn't make any mistakes he won a lot of headers and he was solid and that's all we needed and, and the team did the rest so I think he deserves a lot of credit bearing in mind the massive pressure that he was under but there's no doubt Andy that the turning point in the game this beautiful moment when from the subs bench Jota comes on scores twice one of which was uh, probably rightly disallowed. But this boy's shunned any transition period, hasn't he? He's just flown from the off. Uh, he is flying, scoring goals, creating chances, getting into the right positions. And he's just settled into the team like a duck to water. Yeah, James, it's slightly unusual how Jota's come in and, and been so good because we know, don't we, from Klopp's, usual plan for new players is a, a really incremental step-by-step uh, -step process so they they're gradually in introduced to the team they're gradually introduced to the clock way of playing but what Jot has done which is is significant is that when he's been given the opportunity he's taken the chance so he's either been pivot he's been pivotal in a goal or he's actually actually scored which and I've said to you, James, on previous pods that what I've been most impressed about is his, I wouldn't say audacity, but his boldness to have a shot, to make a run, to get in those position, positions which, which are key. And it just seems to me to be very clear that if one of the, the, um, the front three are missing, he could easily fit in. Because he's, I think this is the reason why Klopp brought him in, James, because... He's already got the the Klopp DNA, if that makes sense. He's already built for robust pressing um, of the opposition defence. And he's got, surprisingly, he, he's quick, isn't he? He's quick and he, he can dribble with the ball and he can finish. Now, all those ingredients are incredibly key in a Klopp team. So, I... It's... And it's sometimes difficult, James, when you start the game. Uh, sorry, when you start a game, you more you can sort of ease yourself into it. But he seems to be coming on with the last twenty minutes to go. When it's difficult, he's probably a bit rusty, and he comes on and makes a difference. And it's that key moment, isn't it? The eighty was it eighty sixth minute or fifth? I don't know. But he's given the opportunity, and he finishes it, and that's a promising sign that this, to me. Jota's got the feeling of a Mane or Salah signing, a signing that's going to be significant for the future. It just got, he has that feel. So it's all positive signs. I know I'm normally negative, James, aren't I, about players, but Jota is filling me with lots of optimism and confidence for 
um, the the games to come. I think it, it helps as well when you've got a player with Premier League experience as well, and and I think that is a very another another important characteristic of our kind of recruitment um, and the fact that he's he's played games for Wolves, Wolves in the Premier League played played really really well. I think that's given him a real kind of advantage to go on to that next level. He scored the worldie for Portugal as well, didn't he? I've not seen it yet. But he's oh, did he? Yeah. Growing confidence as well, playing international. You know, we know Portugal are a great side, aren't they? They've, they've always had a you know good talented players. So probably that's adding to adding to it. But the, the, just to bring back just briefly what Andy was saying about the the signings of he's very much like Mane and Salah. When both of those players come in, I was a little bit unsure with the price tag, and I was kind of thinking. I'm not sure who I wanted at the time, but I wanted someone else. I just remember thinking that for both of the signings because of the amount of money. And I guess the same with Jota, all the names that got branded round in the summer for us who we were going to bring in. And then with Jota coming in, I was kind of like, who's this Who's this guy? <laughs> 45 million. <laughs> no one called it, did they? No no one called it. And and unbelievably, he's doing so well and he's banging on the door, isn't he, to, to, to be in that starting lineup. Yeah, what's good as well, James, just a final point on Jota, is that he seems to play well when the team's not playing so well. And I think that's another important point because sometimes you get Fleur players who come in and they can only perform when the players around them are doing well. But Jota's is almost, as I've said, that that Mane or, or similar to Salah, that he can play well and make the difference when others around him are not doing so well. I think that's the real sign of an excellent player of a game changer when they're able to make the key difference when the team's perhaps underperforming? James, I'm not sure whether Andy's just um, overjoyed by the fact that United and Everton have both lost this weekend, but that's far too positive for him. No no (laughs) negative comments whatsoever. I'm getting too excited about Jota. Absolutely shocked. (laughs) Well, it, it's balancing out the crucifixion of young Joe Gomez, <laughs> our defensive <laughs> Um But um, sorry to give you all a headache, boys, but there's a massive talking point which is brewing regarding the issue of Jota, which is about Bobby Firmino, because we've flagged up or prognosticated that Jota might at some point this season usurp Bobby Firmino, to use that word again, in this starting lineup, of course, Klopp would say that there isn't a first eleven, but we all know that there is, particularly at the top of the pitch. Um, Jota, as Andy has said, has been a, a little bit of a revelation, and whilst his star is rising, Bobby Firmino seems to be struggling a little bit. I mean, we know last season that um, he he didn't score as many as he has done in previous seasons, and he's never been prolific. But his um, his goals scored were much lower than his expected goals. And this season, whilst he has scored and had some good performances, it doesn't look as though he's making a lot of assists or key passes, and his general play is patchy. But we all know how important he is. The thing is with Bobby Firmino is is that still nobody else in the team can do what Bobby can do. And I just do not see Jota playing the Bobby Firmino role. 
Um, I, I do not see him playing that that same same role as he does now. Statistically, certainly yesterday and the way he played, Bobby had, had the least touches out of the front three. Uh, he certainly didn't make any key passes, didn't make any any assists, didn't didn't have any any shots. But I think that was kind of to do with the way West Ham played and the way they how defensive they were and how kind of they were all surrounded Bobby Bobby Firmino and how as the midfield we couldn't really get the ball balls to the front three in them in them key areas so so I don't see I don't see the I don't think he will I think he will add as an addition to the, the front three but I, I can't see him actually breaking in breaking in and and being ahead of Firmino this season the problem though Fran about that and I understand what Matt's saying and it would be madness of us to start to ignore the, the general contribution that Firmino, Firmino sorry, makes and, and the balance. But if Jota keeps playing this well, Klopp is going to have to start him. I mean, I, I think if Jota keeps playing this well and Firmino stays at this level, Jota has to start. I mean, it's just they are just the laws of, of life or the game. You know, you, you can't deny him the starting place. Yeah, he's banging on the door, isn't he, to start the next game. He really is, in terms of his impact. I mean, break up the, the Fab Free. It was almost unthinkable, wasn't it, early on in the year? Um, but with the combination of Firmino, Mane and Salah, you know, there's a lot of games to be played. And maybe players do need a rest at times. I'm very much on, on Matt's side with regards to this. I just feel like Bobby's such a massive player for Liverpool that, you know, you've got to give him the opportunity to get back into form because he's such a big player. Jota's got to just keep doing what, what he's been doing, putting good performances in, scoring key goals, and his opportunities will come. And that's what Klopp will be telling him, James. He'll be, te- he'll be telling him to keep doing the business, but Fab off, uh, Firmino, sorry, offers so much, which you don't always see. I think Paddy mentioned this last week. And uh, shout out to Paddy there. Um, he's, um, I just, I'm hesitant to sort of say, and maybe we're not all saying drop um, Bobby out the team. We're just saying that the way Jota's playing, and the way he's having an impact, scoring goals, you know, makes makes him want to start in the next game. And we know that Bobby's not a huge goal threat, is he, in terms of scoring goals? His record would, would speak for that of late. But any any great team needs a super sub. And he obviously shown, didn't he, yesterday, that he can come on and, and, and change the game. But to actually start him in the in the Firmino role is I I don't see him as that type of player. There's not many players like like Bobby Firmino actually in the whole in, in the whole of world football actually. So unless we suddenly decide to play in a different way, and that's been taken into account by Klopp because of the change of the formation. We we remember that he's played all four before, which 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 didn't really which didn't really work. The problem, if you were to countenance Jota coming into the team, is that he looks irresistible on the left. That's his position. Um, so the natural inclination is to put him on the left, but then 
you then disturb the Mane Robbo partnership, and Mane is our best player. So I don't think we know how that that new front three, if that's what it's going to be, are going to be able to tessellate into the the relevant positions while still keeping the balance. There won't be an issue with the press. The press at the front will be will be great, but you'll just miss the fact that Bobby drops off. But maybe Mane can play that role um, himself. But I'd just be very loath to disturb that Robbo and Mane partnership. And I think what you'll find, boys, next week against City is that Firmino will be in the starting lineup. There's no no doubt about that. And and he'll play well. <laughs> and he'll play well, exactly. I'd back him to play well. But I think what we've all got to keep an eye on is that no, no matter how much we we love Bobby and he recognises importance, ultimately, if he keeps playing at this relatively average rate... And and Jota keeps playing so this very high rate. I think it's it's gonna it's inevitable what will happen. But boys, um, just finally, if we can preview uh, Champions League match day three, we play Atalanta on Tuesday night eight o'clock. It's a crunch group game. Atalanta are the the other fancied side in the group. As we know, they've won the first game against Mitterland and they've also drawn against Ajax in midweek. They're doing pretty well in the Italian league. They've got 12 points on the board already, which has put them in at fourth. So they're they're four points behind Milan, who've started the season really, really well. They've only drawn once. So to use Klopp language again, it's going to be a proper test. But... um, you would expect that Liverpool can go there and at least get a draw and possibly uh, win, Andy. Yeah, James, I think we must go there to win. Um, I think it, it may be a good rehearsal for the likes of Jota and Shaq to perhaps start. I mean, they only played 20 minutes at the weekend. You'd also perhaps expect... Well, I, spe- I think you have to play the front three, don't you? You have to start with your strongest team. And I'd be very surprised if Curtis Jones manages to keep his place. Um, it seemed to me that he had a an OK game uh, yesterday, but I don't suspect he will start. But I think we just need a, a, a robust starting lineup. And I'd be tempted, and you may um, disagree, James, with this, I'd perhaps start Henderson at centre-back. Um, it just offers that stability... Um, that may seem like a slightly strange view to take on account on the back of Nat Phillips's performance, but I think in the Champions League you need to have a solid defence. I think um, Henderson coming in w- would uh, offer that. Yeah, Fran, Matt, it's all about the lineup for me on Wednesday. That uh, sorry, Tuesday, um, because say Nat, Nat, Nat Phillips can't start in the Champions League anyway. Because he's not registered, yeah, yeah, he's not eligible. So I just wanted to just make that point. Just sorry, sorry, James. Yeah, on the lineup point, Matt, there's there's an argument that Reese Williams might play because certainly there was that school of thought that he didn't play on the weekend because Nat Phillips could, and it's the front three, as Andy said. I mean, bearing in mind we've got six points on the board in the group stages, and 
we've got Man City on the weekend. Do you think Klopp might be tempted to put the front three on the bench? Hope that, uh, the, the, you know, Tacky Shack and Jota can keep it tight for the first 60 and maybe bring them on if necessary late on? Yeah, I think so. I think that'd be wise, wouldn't it? Saving them for the for the City game. Because the thing is, we've already got six points already in, in that group. So if we can get a draw against Atalanta, then win the home game, then we're pretty much through, aren't we? So perhaps maybe keeping the front three um, kind of energy levels up for, for City might be kind of a wise move. Fran, there's also logic though, isn't there, to just getting this group boxed off? Because if we win on Tuesday, we're almost through, aren't we? Well, exactly, James. And I think if we can get to the end of this group with our last game remaining, knowing that we've qualified... Uh, it's a game that we don't have to worry about in a, in a in a packed out season. We already talked, already speaking before about the amount of games that we've had in the last two weeks. Added two more games, you know, after the City match, and then we've got international break, so we will have a little bit of a a break. But there's there's definitely a good strong argument for trying to just box off um, the Champions League group as early as possible and get and get another three points, which will put us into a, a really strong position on nine points in the group but equally you can't help but look at City at the weekend at the same time so I think it's a great opportunity to get a bit of rotation in the squad and we've just been talking about Jota and Bangle on the door let's give him a start and let's see what he see what he can do from from the first minute yeah and I think I think if we played Shaq Tacky and Jota they won't let us down what about predictions then? Uh, Matt, come to you first. Um, okay, I'm gonna go for an um I'm gonna go for one all. Fran. Well after I I got I said four nil the other week, so I'm um I'm keeping quite quiet um regarding my score line, but I'd probably say one two. Andy? I think we'll we'll do a good um, we'll have a good performance. I'm going. I'm going for nil two. And you, James? Yeah, I'm going to go for a, a hard thought one nil away victory to the Reds. Well, boys, we'll be able to have a chat about that match in approximately forty eight hours or so. Thanks for joining me this evening, and uh, despite a defensive crisis and a punishing schedule. The Reds just keep on winning, which is what they do best. Top of the league and top of the Champions League group table as it stands. Boys, up the Reds. You've been listening to Brothers Red, an LFC fan podcast. Your host was James Cullen. Contributors were Matthew, Francis, Patrick and Andrew Cullen. Music and production by Helen Lyon. The best word I can say when describe this was... Boom. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>